when you consider the life of Beverly Iris Gardner. It tends to fall into three distinct phases, as characterised by three distinct addresses, from Cardigan Street to Nichols Road to Clive Street. Three distinct chapters in the life and recollections of Beverly Iris Gardner. This is for our family to remember. I hope you enjoy and share the podcast from baby to Beverly to Bebby. Okay, Mum, well, this is the second part of From Baby to Beverly to Bebby. Oh. And uh, when we left last time, it was about you'd be sort of married and you'd moved from the hustle and bustle of Carlton, Cardigan Street, Carlton, basically into Nichols Road, Ormond. It must have been a big change to move from no, no, city didn't. to suburbs. No, we rented in Mooney Ponds. We got married in the year of the Olympic Games. It was very hard to get accommodation. All of Melbourne was booked out. But Kath found a back of a house in Mooney Ponds, I can't remember the name of the street, and it was a half house, and would you believe the people's names were Gibson, Mr and Mrs Gibson, and she was a strict non-alcoholic person. And we covered some of that at the last time. So did I cover that, did I? So when you, you've, you've arrived in Nichols Road after Dad's dad died. Yes. My grandfather died, and you were there. The difference between hustle and bustle of Carlton on the fringe of the CBD and outskirts Ormond. What was, what was it like in those days? Yeah, it was a beautiful old house and uh, uh, we were sleeping in the bungalow because Frank and Betty moved in. They they moved in just, just at the same as time? As soon as we moved in, they moved in. Why did why, they, they move in? Well, they had he had gone into, he bought a, a place in Queensland and they were going to move up there. I think it was like a petrol station and a, a, a sort of um, like a, you know, 7-Eleven type thing. And uh, it fell through, his partner pulled out. So they'd sold their house and they had nowhere to live. So he asked us, could they move in for a short time? Well, how come you got the bungalow? They didn't get the bungalow. Well, Frank and Betty had the main room. Geoffrey uh, had Jeffrey says son, of course. Who was, shall I say, a pain? I hope he doesn't hear this. And so I had the bungalow, which was terrible. It was very cold. And Al was a traveller. He used to go away every Monday. He was he worked for Lever Brothers, and um, he'd leave on a Monday and come back Friday night. So I had Frank and Betty and Jeffrey for the week. And I was pregnant with you, so and I used to cook the meals. And so this is obviously 1958 or 1957. So Frank said, "Well, I'll, we'll, you know, help do up the house." So he immediately sort of started to go a bit mad, and uh, they built a garage because he wanted that. And uh, look, he was terrific. He still had the, he's still working at the dad's grocery store, finalising all the sale and um, and. Was overstocked, so every week we all had to take heaps of groceries to bring the stock down. <laughs> we had so many and so the grocery stores in Armadale, wasn't it? Um, High Street, Armadale. So that's that's where I think it's the Woolworths. There used to be Thomas Ducks, didn't it? Crittenden's in the old days. Uh, no, I think it was a hotel. Ah, oh, it's the Armadale Hotel. Armadale Hotel. Yeah, and uh, it was a lovely old the old fashioned where they weighed up the butter, and uh, his father wore the big leather apron and uh, yeah it was nice when we came back from our honeymoon he said come over and I'll give you what you need and uh, it was still a 
just wooden floors and there was an upstairs where they used to keep the cheeses. And, uh, yeah, he was a nice old fellow. He was tough, but he was... Oh, was his favourite. So Frank used to bring home... Oh, you know, we don't need them, Frank, but he'd bring them home every week, all the groceries. And he was a good help, and he, you know, would do the shopping because I didn't have a car. And I was quite big with you. I was stunning the big tummy. And, um, yeah, it worked out for a while until I came home with you as a baby. And I was a new mum and a bit nervous. And uh, I think I overfed you, so you used to cry. <laughs> and then um, Jeffrey used to drive me mad. So, uh, um, I don't like this food. Mum, will you do it? Well, Betty was really enjoying me doing the cooking and the work. And they stayed with us and he did loan us some money. Um, he, we took out his mortgage with him and uh, we also borrowed from the bank. So... We paid off Frank fairly quickly, but it mustn't have been good for them either. It was hard living, and I was still out in the bunkai with the baby. So um, I said to Al, this has got to stop. They're very comfortable living here. Frank was happy because he had company, and Betty was happy because I was doing everything. And so um, I said to them, look, you know, we need to be by ourselves. And uh, so they bought a house in which they just sold recently. Yeah, they lived in it, Yeah, they lived in here like 40, 40, 50 years, I suppose. 40 years. Well, if, it's a low, if you're talking about 1958 moments, yes. it's nearly 70 years. Well, look, absolutely, of yeah, course it is. So, uh, and they got well over a million for it. So I might have even got two, I can't remember now. It's only recently. So... Life started in Ormond. And what's it like? You didn't, so you didn't have a car, you had a baby. You didn't really know anybody there, did you? No, I didn't, but... You walked, Hayes, had to walk everywhere. But quite a few people knew Dad. So um, if I'd go down the street with you, like walk, which I did, I walked everywhere, people would say, oh, he's like Albert when he was little. And uh, he was such a lovely little boy. So I sort of got to know all the people. The people next door on our right... I can't think of their name now. It was a huge block of land and it was a brother and sister that lived there. Auntie Ada used to live opposite um, in the early days and there were stables all around Ormond. And, and of course, Ada was married to the jockey Bud Steer, yeah. which is still the best name for a jockey of all times. <laughs> Who used to move the post at the races. He used to cheat, <laughs> cheating jockey. He used to bring it forward if the horse was a bit tired and old. <laughs> yes, she was a dear old soul. And uh, so oh, we had people that they all sort of gathered around. And then there were the coolers who lived two doors down. And, and they, they lived in the house that Dad's father and brother built and never spoke to each other. Yeah, they never spoke because of the religion. Yeah. Yeah. When he married a Catholic. It was just so stupid when you think about it, wasn't it? And that, apparently they had twins. The coolers were quite friendly with them. Their kids all went to school in East Ormond, I think. But uh, anyway, life with you was lovely. I enjoyed being a mum. I didn't... Uh, um, I was a bit um, shy and didn't quite know how to handle things. But I managed and we cut down all the trees. And that was later, I think. There were beautiful fruit trees in Ormond, every sort of fruit tree. And um, it was a nice old house and apples and pears and 
oranges, mandarins. It was a real gardener's garden. And so, Mum, um, two years later, out popped Craig. Yes, but in between, I had a miscarriage. I think you were about nine months, okay. and I went to pick you up. You were crawling, and I went to pick you up, and um, I bled heavily, and uh, I had to go to hospital and be have a curette. You had to ring Nana Patterson. To... I had to ring Nana Patterson to say I'm in trouble, and I had no. Did she, did she live near us? She lived in um, Murrumbina. Okay. She was a lovely lady. And we were very friendly with them. Um, Al had been a school boyfriend of Dick's, his, her son. And so I rang her in desperation. I said, I'm bleeding heavily. Can you come in and help me with Paul? Because uh, Al's coming home. I'll have to go to the hospital to have her. How, how did those days that mobile phones, how did you get in contact with Dad? Oh, I just rang through to his office and told them that they had to contact him. It wasn't easy. Yeah. And he always was running late. So, uh, anyway, Sheila came over and looked after you. I think she stayed the night and I had the curate. And I was very flat. I was really sad to lose a child, a baby. And um, even though it was only about three months and I thought it would have been a great little mate, it would have been like Molly and Jack, the same difference. But so I was desperate to get pregnant again to rectify, see if everything was right, and I did. Much to my mum's horror, she said, "Oh, how can I tell people you're having another baby? Oh, it's terrible, so close." I think she thought sex makes. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I had Craig, and that was lovely. He was such a beautiful little baby with a chubby little face. And uh, I had him and brought him home. He went to Auntie Betty's and Uncle Jack's. And I stayed there well. Stayed there. How long was it there for? Ten days in those days. It wasn't like today. So you were in confinement. Yes. Well, you weren't allowed out of bed for seven days. It was just you were treated like a major surgery, which I guess if you had something like that removed from your stomach, it would have been. Other now they sent you to the hotel. That's exactly all those days were not around in that. So you were in hospital for 10 days and I got, I got shipped off to Karen. Betty brought you home and came with Kevin and you took one look at me and said, I want to go with Kimmy. I wanted to go. didn't want to come home with me at all. I said, I've got a big surprise for you. Come in. And you went, oh, no, I want to go home with Kimmy. You didn't want any bar of me. So Betty had to sneak out and go home. And then you rallied around. You didn't like me. I breastfed Craig, like all of you. And you said, I don't like him eating you. <laughs> <laughs> but after a day, you rallied around. I think you could have done without him when he was crying. But, uh, yeah, so it was lovely Al was wrapped. He just thought it was just lovely to have a little family because I don't think he'd had it as a child himself, even though there were brothers and Maisie. He loved that surrounding. Plus, he never had a mother, really. Exactly, and he could see the mothering that I gave you children. I thought you were, I was pretty good at doing that and um, in those days. And, um, yeah, it was good. And then life went on. We started to think about altering the house. I had a beautiful fernery with every sort of ferns that was, uh, but a lot of it was broken and so we had that pulled down and then I became pregnant again, um, much to my mother's horror. Oh no, you can't be, you can't be. I said, well mum, I am. I hope it's a girl. 
I said, well, I don't care. Two little boys are lovely. And, um, and then I think, Craig, you must have gone to Nana's to stay when I had Nick. I can't remember now. I remember Craig going, you must have gone somewhere else. You might have gone back to Jack's. Yeah. And Craig went to, to Nana and Pa's. And, um, and, of course, Barry and Diane were still at home and they just loved having him and spoiled both of you, really. They were very good as uncle and auntie. And uh, so then I had Nick, which changed the world a bit. So Nick's, Nick's four years younger than me. So I must have no, been... No, he's four, uh, yeah, four yeah. years younger than me. So he, 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 I must have only been in kindergarten or preschool. Yeah, you in kinder. Around the corner from us. Around somewhere. the corner next street with Mrs Clark, who could do a good imitation of a kookaburra. <laughs> <laughs> the kids were all fascinated by it. And uh, so I settled in and I just found it a bit hard. Three, three little kids under four, um, or just four you were, and uh, life was very busy and never had enough hands. And Nick, how, did, how did you walk three kids down the street to get... Well, one on the pram. I used to have a seat on the pram, which Craig said he used to hang on to the pram and people would look to me as if to say, oh, poor thing, I hope she doesn't have any more. <laughs> if I picked up dry cleaning, I'd have to put it over the hood of the pram. <laughs> but Nick was very, very ill and he wasn't thriving and he used to have this projectile vomiting all the time, which made life very difficult because he'd be saturated. The minute you'd feed him, he'd just throw up and it would go against a wall. So if you were sitting a few feet away and I had to keep changing him and changing myself all the time. So what, what was wrong with him? He had a blockage in the tube going to his stomach. It was called um, pyloric stenosis. Stenosis is a thickening. And not until I worked for the doctor did I actually know much about it. So how did, how, see, obviously he had operated on well, he was let go, the doctor, I used to go to a local doctor in um, Dr Bain and he said, oh no, no, you're just worrying, you're overworked and over anxious and I said, no, no, there's something wrong with him and he was nearly two months old and he was very thin, he was like a little skeleton and he wasn't thriving and I was just at the end of my tether anyway um, he came round one night, he said, look, you're doing something wrong, like, as if I'd already had to, to you two. And it was difficult for you two at this time. I mean, he was like a full-time, 24 hours, every hour waking up to be fed because he was starving. And then um, he came round, he said, I'll feed him. I put him on a bottle then because they thought it was my milk. And sure enough, up he throws everywhere, threw up all over the doctor and... Uh, he said, oh, he's got this pyloric stenosis. you better take him to a doctor. So it was right on Christmas. A doctor time. suggested she take to a doctor? To Dr Glyn White. At the, and, and so I went over. We all drove in, had to take, all go into the city. I didn't have a car, but Al drove us. And this Dr Glyn White, who saved thousands of babies, and he took one look, he said, this baby's starving, it's dehydrated, he has to be operated on today, urgently. And uh, oh, I was terribly upset leaving this poor little thing at Epworth it was. 
and everyone was upset going home and uh, luckily I wasn't feeding him so anyway he saved his life. He had to have all sorts of tubes in him to plump him up before he could be operated. He was almost on the verge of pneumonia. And so that was right on Christmas. So Christmas, I still, you were all excited for Father Christmas. And it was a very, very tiring time. And the hospital rang they said, we're having Father Christmas, what are you going to do about the baby? And I thought, well, he doesn't know it's Christmas and I've got the other two. But we took in a teddy bear and I said, I won't come in Christmas Day. I want the children to have a good Christmas. Anyhow, he was in for 10 days and they got it right and we had to go and pick him up and I remember holding him and he was all plastered down the front and he was a fragile little baby and uh, you kids were good, very good because he was just a full-time job and mum and dad came and stayed to help me and then all of a sudden he had to be fed every two hours with bottle to make up the time he'd lost and he soon thrived but uh, life was different with Nicholas James I have to say. <laughs> Mum, those days with just to the neighbourhood and that and we went to the local kindergarten and then we all trundled off to St Kevin's I mean you, t- you had three boys going to St Kevin's in Ormond didn't you? Well that's sort of a bit further on uh, you went to school before you were, you were about five I think when you started five and you were Good. So I used to have to, I used to have to take you, of course, walk down to the school. Craig went to kinder at Mrs Clark's. The Cookerborough lady. Cookerborough lady. And Nick, of course, was uh, still a little toddler, so I used to have to pick Craig up and then go and pick you up. And, uh, look, I wouldn't have swapped it for anything. Life was, all I did was look after children. And, um, and of course, all my friends were still working, earning big money, and here I was, this uh, young mum who was like, what, I'd be 26 with three small children. But you can't imagine it today, can you? Oh, you can't. And I look back now and think, my oh, goodness, how did I do it? How did you entertain it? How did you entertain us? I mean, kids, television was really sort of still a novelty in those days. Well, we didn't want for anything. You always did love dressing up. I used to have soldier outfits and cowboy outfits. And, and uh, look, I managed to entertain you, all right. And you had a, um, you loved a fort. I remember I bought you a big fort with all the little soldiers and Indians. I wish I had it today. It'd be. And we bought you a Jerry and Judy doll. <clears throat> and you were a bit disappointed because he didn't talk. <laughs> like, like the one on the TV. <laughs> oh, you've got the wrong one, you said. This one doesn't talk. You used to have to put your hand up the back and pull the little thing. And Craig was a very easy child. He was, you were both very good little kids. I guess in those days, of course, you could run around the yards and go out in the street and play footy and have a kick of the ball. And... Well, you could. And... Um, uh, yes, uh, but you know, I was always careful and uh, yeah, you had kids in. I didn't mind ever having children in until they drove me mad. It used to be your heaps of kids come in the backyard and play. You both don't remember that, I don't suppose. Yeah. But um, the Coolers and Fleming, you know, Peter Fleming would come over and, and Tom at the back. and Tom Canajo. And until yeah. everyone drove me mad and I'd say, look, you all have to go home, you know. Um, and then... 
uh, when did we get the pool? We decided to... We built oh, that was... Uh, Andy was born. But we haven't got to Andy yet. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, but surely the highlight the highlight of Ormond was when Robert, uh, Ronald Ryan robbed the bank. The, the ESNA <laughs> bank. Saving, yeah. <laughs> bank. Yes, we can't go in the street. The police are there, Robert Ryan. Ronald. Ronald Ryan. And uh, I remember they, um, that bookmaker they killed... I think that was them, was no, that wasn't them. No, that was there were three no. other people that did they that. They killed the copper and they escaped That's the right. water, yeah. No, the, the, the and people, they hanged him. The people that, uh, um, there was a woman and two guys that uh, killed the, the bookmaker in um, up near the Carlton Theatre. There was a little street that ran down there. That's a different, I was thinking, they all got hung, the three of them. Yeah. And uh, the woman too. But, uh, yes, so uh, that, that was a bit of excitement. The last man hanged in Australia. Mm. So, Mum, we had Nick, who's sickly recovered, and then there was a gap before Andy. I mean, why, why was there well, such a gap? I had... Um, I one day I was vacuuming. We had a big lounge, and I was vacuuming, and I did something, and I dreadful pain in my side. And uh, I put up with it all day, and then Al came home, and I said, oh, I'm really sick, I have to go to bed, I'm feeling really bad. Well, all night I was in agony and he rang the doctor at seven in the morning and he came and he said, I think you've had an atopic a pregnancy in the tube and he said, you've got to go to hospital and uh, serious, they called an ambulance off phone and he was all saying, where's, the, where's these underpants? And the doctor said, bloody, go and open the drawers and look. So I left him with all of you, and off I had to go to St Vincent's private. Oh, it's St Vincent's I was taken to, and um, I remember them wheeling me across this cobblestone, and I was in agony, and I'd had a ruptured ovarian cyst, as it turned out, and I had to have quite major surgery, and. Um, I said you wouldn't get pregnant again. Yeah, and Mum came, and she was so distressed. Um, I said, Mum, can you bring me in a dressing gown? And I was worried about all those little things. We need to check that the kids are all right. And she said, oh, um, oh you hope you're right. The girl around the corner in Carlton had had the same thing and died, so Mum was beside herself. So off she went. I was reassuring her, and I had the operation, and I was in hospital for two weeks. I was very, very sick and had to have change views and God knows what else. And um, so I came home and they said, let's it, you won't have any more children. And uh, it took me quite a while to recover. I went down to about 16 and I was very, very thin. And um, anyhow, before the year was out, I was pregnant. And Al was going mental. He was like as if I had done it myself. Oh, there's something wrong with it. I don't want you to have another baby. And rum, 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 rum. And I said, oh, well, I am. Um, we'll see. And it was a very difficult pregnancy. I was really sick because I'd had this huge cut from the navel down and it hadn't really healed internally. So I was bleeding and they said, oh, you may not carry this child. And so I thought, well, I don't care if I, if I don't. I've got three little boys and I'm really happy, which I was very happy with the three of you. Anyhow, I sort of managed to get through the pregnancy. And Andy, the day she was born, you had a school concert and it was like 40 degrees. And 
I walked down the street with Craig and Nick to pick you up from school and I thought, oh my God, I don't think I'm going to make it home. Anyway, I made it home and sure enough, I had to ring Al and say, look, I think you better come home. Oh, I've got to go. I said, you have to come home. I really need you. So Amy came and off I went down to, it was Bethlehem. It was a new baby hospital in those days, not now. Yeah. And um, the nurses were all putting out pink things and I thought, I don't care as long as I have the baby. They said, we hope you have a girl. And I said, look, if I have another little boy, I'm used to boys and I wouldn't mind. Anyhow, Andy was born and it was a thrill. And then Al came with you boys in the car. They had, you couldn't come in in those days. So he left you three boys in the car and I just got back to the room feeling pretty worn out from having been to the school concert and having giving birth. And uh, they said, oh, some poor guy, his wife just had a baby girl. <laughs> and uh, he stuck and been stuck in the lift for an hour. And they said, um, they had, to, I thought, you know, they said, oh, his children were in the car, didn't say boys. So we got them out of the car and they in the nursery looking at all the babies. And then she looked at me and she said, didn't you have a little girl recently? And I said, they're not my family, are they? And she said, they are. But he's finally out of the lift. After he asked for a cigarette. <laughs> and got the children home. <laughs> so it was very stressful. The next day... Harold Holt was drowned at sea. <laughs> so the papers were full of Harold Holt. <laughs> well, he was missing. He's, he's, he may have been oh, stolen. That's right, he was missing. He may have been stolen by a Chinese submarine. Don't forget. And so everything was full. And he was born the thirteenth of December. Yeah. So in those days, it wasn't quite so severe. You were allowed to get up the third day. And uh, home I came on the seventh day, a few days before Christmas. And uh, that was fun. I had to go down and order the food and with four kids. I remember going down North Road to order meat and vegetables and Andy was squealing and they said, that sounds like a new baby. Yes, and once again I had all the stuff draped over the pram. And uh, yes, there's a new baby. They said, oh, you've four girl. children. A little girl. And but lots of people have four children. People, people had mm. 13 children. And they said, oh, you poor little thing. <laughs> so home we went. And it was lovely. It was uh, Mum had Christmas that year because it was me having the baby. And look, it was lovely. It was we sort of completed the family picture. Andy was a, a good little baby and you were all good little kids. Nick got into a bit of mischief, of course. And the day I came home from hospital... We had a council housekeeper looking after you. And she said, now, mother's must rest. Go and lie on the bed Oh, my God, is this Mrs Irwin? No, it wasn't Mrs Irwin. Oh, no. Similar, similar. Oh, oh, no. And this one had... Um, so I, I was lying, feeding Andy, and uh, the next thing I hear screaming, Geoffrey across the road had thrown a brick at your head and split your head open. So there was blood pouring from your head. So I could see that it needed stitches and this lady, I don't know what, she was a miss. 
she had her gloves on me to go home and I said, can you stay? I have to take Paul to the doctors. Oh, well, it's not, I normally finish. Anyway, Marjorie Cooler gave us a lift. I left the baby with her and Paul O'Craig and Nick. So up we go to the doctor at North Road and he's got a stitch of forehead and luckily it missed the optic nerve and um, I was holding you and ready to faint, I think. And uh, he said, didn't you have a baby recently? And I said, yes, a week ago. He said, when your husband comes home, get him to go over and tell the parents of this child what a little asshole he is, <laughs> which Al did in no uncertain terms. And uh, so that was... Uh, Eventful child. A nice homecoming. Was, did Andy, was Andy born before man walked on the moon or...? Uh, yes, I think. No, I don't... That was 67, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. She was born... She must have been born after that year. She was born that year, but I think... Um, I oh, that was an eventful time. I, mean, I can remember sitting at home watching it all day on television and nothing yes. happened. Yes, that's right. I can't... Those things are a bit of a blur. I mean, imagine four little kids I had and no transport and uh, that was you know he used to go and get the shopping and when, when, when did you get your first car then how old well Helen Kaufman had a old Morris um, so she said why don't you buy it from me it was $50 you can imagine but it was a manual and I hadn't driven I got my license when I was 18 well by this time I'm 32 I think so so you went 14 years without a car yeah okay so I think, oh, well, it's my do. So I didn't have any... I think I just gave it a try. Every time you turned a corner, the doors flew open. <laughs> so I thought, I don't think we're putting children in this. So I didn't... I don't know. I, we, I got the girl at school said, oh, my husband can fix that. So she paid $50, so we sold it. And uh, so I didn't have a car... For a while, and then Al decided he uh, he had a station wagon, which we used to take you kids to the um, movies. The driving. Driving, and you'd be hopping over seats. And uh, um, so he said, well, you can have the station wagon because you'll need it with the kids. And uh, was it the station wagon? Yeah, I think it was. And he got a new toy out of Crown, so... Anyhow, I had to start driving. I didn't sort of have a refresher course, so it was a bit hit and miss there for a while. But anyway, just drove around and it was quite handy having a car then to pick you up from. And plus to go and see your mum and dad too over in Carlton. Yeah, I didn't ever drive there. I didn't. How did, no, you, how did you go and I used to go by the train. It'd be an eventful day. And because Craig had to go to an eye specialist in Carlton, he had a problem. Um, he'd been... His eye was damaged at birth. He was lying on my pelvis and damaged the nerve. And so he was under... I saw a professor in Carlton, so I'd go over by the train and the tram and uh, leave... The, leave uh, it was probably only Andy then. Um, leave Andy with, the, with them and take Craig to this eye specialist and come back and I'd do a bit of shopping and then I would pick us up after work and come and drive us home. So I sort of managed, you know, I was young and sort of energetic, I suppose. And Dad had a regular job at 3KZ in those he days. He had, and money was tight. Nick had to have two more surgeries. He had an appendix that nearly burst. 
And a penis. Yeah, and also he had a, a hernia, the testicles yeah. hadn't come down and he had to have an operation for that. And we were a bit short of money, we, we didn't have a lot. And um, Al started working with Jack as well, his brother, who they did something to renew TVs. <laughs> and uh, so he held it down the two jobs. Yeah. And uh, which was... I had the odd bet. They had an odd bit and an odd beer or two. I loved Jack. Jack was one of the nicest pe people you'd ever meet. He had a bit of a problem with the grog. He'd uh, bought hotels and I think he drank the profits. But um, you kids, we used to go down to Carrum of a Sunday and we'd go down there and you love being with the boys. And uh, and then they adopted two little girls. Oh, they had Lisa. They had Lisa. Who's she? Younger or older than Andy? I think she's older. Yeah. They had and Lisa. And then. Um, Christine and Julie, were Jack had a friend who was a priest, and they used to visit an orphanage. And in fact, Jack used to take boxes of fruit, and he was very generous, Jack. And. There was a little girl there and she hadn't been adopted and she was two, uh, probably 18 months and two. And Jack said, well, a dear little girl. And they said, oh, she hasn't been adopted and it's hard then when they get a bit older. He said, I'm going to take her home and I'll adopt her. So they sort of don't know how they did it, but he did. And she was a dear little girl, Christine. Mm. And then two years later... Um, they adopted um, what was Julie. Julie. Mm. Julie was born with a strawberry mark on her head. It was quite nasty, and no one would have taken her. And uh, he's he got some specialist to have a look at it and see if it could be removed. They said it will grow as she grows, and it will get quite disfiguring. But when she's about two and a half, she'd probably be able to be. She might have been a baby. Julie, I can't remember now. She might have been about nine months old. And um, anyway, they checked it out. Yes, that can be removed. And sure enough, it was. And so they adopted her too. So mm. they had the six children. So it must have been Bedlam. But we went down there quite often. And we'd all go to the beach to Carum or Chelsea, was it? And you all, you boys loved it. And uh, yeah, Andy was younger, but um, yeah, she enjoyed it too. But it was merely you boys with their sons, and uh, yeah, so that they were good times. No, we had good times. Uh, and mum holidays, we moved to the holidays going to Queensland. Now, when, when did that start? When did we start going to Queensland? We started going. The, well, Dad had Carpet City as a client. I oh, know we skipped a bit because he he ended up he was at KZ then. Yeah, and he became friendly with the Turners and they had started out in Carpet City and Dad signed them up. They, he sold them the all-night show, midnight to dawn, whole lot they had for advertising. It had never been sold before and Carpet City sold it for a song and it really put them on the map. They just went zoom and uh, they ended up having quite a few stores. But Dad would go down there and play cards with them and I think win money from them <laughs> and get their advertising. And he said, you've got to meet these people, they're really nice. So we did, we went out and they had six, no, they didn't have the six then, Dawn, they only had four. 
and um, so we'd go out and uh, they had caravans, they used to go down the beach, fancy caravan, but we never did that. But we'd go out with them and we had a really nice time. Dawn and Murray lived in um, Oakley at that stage and in the Barna Avenue. And they'd, um, so we'd go out with them and, and uh, David and Eunice just had two children, Cheryl and uh, Gary. And they ended up buying a house in Brighton on the lake there. And they kicked on. So we sort of went there. And then Dawn and Murray, they all went up, started going up the Gold Coast. They all kicked on financially. And they bought these big American cars, David and um, Murray. And uh, I think Dawn must have had, they must have had the twins then. Yeah, she had the six children. So they said, why don't you come up here? And Al would never, till he might have back to winner, and he'd think, right, I'm back to winner. So he, we'd fly up and you'd drive up with them. And we had some good time. You never yeah. liked it up there much, did you? But um, we went up year after year. Yeah, never missed a year. And it was, they were very good times up there. And in, in those days, of course, you'd call complete strangers, Auntie Dawn, Dawn Uncle Morrow. Yes. That was, that, was, that was a cusp that sort of died out. You don't say that anymore, do Well, you? when we were kids, everyone was Mr and Mrs, like all neighbours, you know. And they even they used to say, um, if they referred to their husband, they wouldn't say Al or something, they'd say Mr. And then Dawn was an only child, so she loved having the, the friends as aunties and uncles. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous when you think about it, but... Uh, because you had aunties and uncles anyway. And, uh, you know, they were good days. We were happy days and we'd go out, we'd take you kids out. Well, imagine walking into a restaurant with 10 kids and the people would all look, oh, my God, I hope they're not going to sit near us. But you were all very well behaved and you were used to going out to restaurants. And, look, it was a pleasure. And they loved us going up with them. And then, of course, Dawn and Murray bought the three houses in Victor Road in Bentley and pulled them down and had the swimming pool and the, it was a massive tennis court, tennis court and uh, so we used to go, they say come up and uh, and then they started travelling to America and at about this time Al was earning too much money at KZ and they decided that they put him on a salary and not commission and he wasn't happy with that, so he decided to leave. He was going to do something with some scatterbrained idea he had. But we were due to go away with Bill Grubb and his girlfriend, which I wasn't thrilled about. But it was the first time that we'd ever had an overseas holiday. And luckily, at the last minute, they pulled out. So. Of Mum and Dad came and looked after you. They, they lived in. We bought them a, a little freezer and uh, we bought them heaps of things for doing it. And off we went to, on our first overseas trip, off to America and uh, we went, met Donna Murray in Las Vegas, and which was fun. And we went on and did other things. We went Auntie Ruby and Lorna in San Diego and spent some, a couple of days with them. We went to Acapulco and um, I mean imagine we'd never been anywhere either of us and um, it was absolutely wonderful. 
Then we came back, we met Donna Murray, we went to San Francisco, and then we left them, they went home, and we went on to Japan and toured through Japan and loved it, went through on the bullet train. And uh, um, you might have been about 18 then. You well, it was Nana, it was Pop still alive then? Yes, he was. You were about he, he, No, he died, he died when I was 18 or 19. No, he died the year you got married. Oh, no, he no, died. That's Nana, he, no. he died a couple of years before yeah. then, that's right. Yeah. You were at uni at Monash. I've skipped a few things. So Pop, Pop died, was that sudden? He died in his sleep. He died of a stroke. So it was sudden, he didn't know his No, name. he didn't. He... Um, uh, but just finished the chapter, we went to Japan and then we rang home. We were, I was writing because it was hard to ring in those days. There was, and I, we rang from Hong Kong and I think you were driving. You were driving my car and it had seized up and Mum said, oh, we'll tell you when you come home. And I said, well, is anyone hurt? No, nobody's hurt. So, But, you know, we'll wait till you come home. <laughs> yeah, I remember that day. I think I levelled the car at the dogs, as I recall. And uh, so home we came and we bought heaps of presents. So everywhere we went, we bought gifts for everybody, like, you know, and particularly Mum and Dad. I remember buying them a watch each and um, Dad said it was broken because it was automatic. And then he used to put it on a milk bottle so they keep going from the stop or something ridiculous. And uh, yes, the, we had to get another car, so Al bought the Datsun. And whilst we were away, Channel 10 had been ringing Mum, saying, when will he be home? And she said, well, they'll be home whenever it was. And as soon as we walked in the door, they, they were all packed, ready to leave. Oh, we have to go home, they said. So Al drove them home and he, he rang Channel 10. And they said, we're anxious to, to talk to you. So he went in there and he started direct selling at Channel 10. So it sort of worked out quite well. And he, you know, just went right high up wages and everything. So, um, yeah, so we, that was the start of our travels overseas. And we were very, very fortunate for two people who came from average, well, you know, I came from a poor, poor existence and I was middle class, I guess. Never been anywhere, never travelled anywhere. We saw so much of the world. And fortunately, while he was sick, he saw all those countries. And um, amazing, you know, we used to, and we loved being together and going away. I mean, we loved all of you kids, but to have some time out, it sort of renews you... Uh, you know what the whole reason you got married for because you love each other so let's just talk about for a moment your mum and dad and their passing because there was obviously a big influence on your life oh it was shocking I used to ring mum every day they got the phone they never had a telephone but when Diane was a teenager things licked up they, Barry and Diane were still at home so they got the phone Diane went to work for an architect in Carlton and Barry was an electrician, an apprentice electrician. So things were looking up for them financially. Dad couldn't work again, so he was a night watchman at a clothing place in Carlton. And um, 
they, I used to ring Mum every day, you know, say good morning and everything to her and how are you. And this morning, I, sometime Dad would grab the phone and say, hello, love, you know. And um, I said to Mum, oh, how's Dad? She said, uh, I think we'd been over to Craig, um, we'd been over and he was complaining about not feeling well. He'd made some scones, he used to make good scones. And uh, he always said there was something wrong, so we didn't take much notice. Anyhow, I said, Mum, how's Dad? She said, oh, he's not up yet. Well, it was always an early riser. And I said, oh, that's unusual, Mum. Is he all right? And she said, she knew, of course. She, she didn't want to know, but... Uh, and I said to her, um, should you go in to see if he's all right? And she said, oh, no, he'll be all right. And I said, well, how about I hold, hold on and just go in? And she said, oh, I don't like to. And I said, what about the lady next door? Why don't you get her to knock on his door and see if he's... Um... She went, um, oh, well, will I ring you back? I said, no, hold on, because I just knew. And uh, anyway, she got the lady next door and, yes, he passed away during the night. He'd had a stroke. How old was he? 71. Hmm. And... Um, I said, OK, Mum, I'll be over. And you were home and you drove me. And um, in the meantime, our neighbour called the police with, with, to mm. report it. Which, know, is, what, which is why he was taken to the coroner's. Oh, it's such ridiculous. Yeah. We could have just rang the doctor. And yeah. Anyway, um, the police were there, went on the veranda when we arrived, and uh, I said, uh, what, are, what are you here for? They said, oh, we have to take him to in the coroner in case somebody's done him in, given him tablets or something. So that was why. And then Mum, um, we had, you know, I went with her and we arranged the funeral and she was pretty good really, Mum. She was a strong person. I said, do you want to come out and stay with us for a few days? She said, no, no, I'll, I'll go home. And fortunately for Mum, her um, neighbour was pretty good. They sort of cooked meals and shared them. They didn't go in with each other, I don't think, but I've cooked you some pasties and some mum would say. And mum adjusted to being a widow very well. She used to walk to the market and buy her stuff from, Carl from Carlton, you know, Victoria Market, and she'd get a little trolley. Al and I bought her the freezer, so she'd buy things and freeze them. And then... Um, Two years later, probably about two years later, was the year you were getting married. Genevieve was on the scene then. You were engaged. And um, I sort of miss bits because I'm sort of thinking in my mind. Um, you were engaged and you were going to be married in the December. And I had bought Mum this beautiful little bag and I was starting to buy her a few things to help her for clothes for the wedding. And yeah. she was very, very thrilled. And Diane and Ron took her up to the Gold Coast on a holiday. And we had taken her twice in previous years, and she'd never been on a plane. It was after Dad died, and she used to say, oh, I feel guilty being here. And I used to say, don't be ridiculous, Mum, you know. And it was the year that the Donalds were up there, and, and Turner's. And they all took to mum because she was such a lovely person. And uh, we'd have fancy dress nights. <laughs> you didn't come because you were at uni then, you didn't want to come. And 
uh, everyone would get dressed up. Mum would, mum would say, oh, well, I'll be a paper boy. She'd just have a newspaper under her arm. And, uh, yeah, we had some great times and she loved it up there. Just couldn't believe how good it was. And we really spoiled her. Al was great to, great to her. And it, they all were. Murray and Dawn, all of them loved her. And she went again the following year we took her up. And uh, so we must have taken up not long after Dad died. He would have died in the June and we took her up in the September. And then we took her the following year. And then Diane and Ron were taking her. They used to go earlier than us. They were taking and they did take her. And I got postcards. As I said, there was no mobile phone that didn't ring. And, you know, having the best time and they're spoiling me and such and such. And then Diane rang me in the middle of the night and I knew as soon as I picked up the phone. Um, I said, what's wrong? She said, Mum's died. Oh, God. It was just such a sad day. Sorry. So she, she died in Queensland? She died. They went out for dinner. Even now it affects me because she was so special. Um, they went out for dinner. And when they came home... Where was she? She was moaning, Sean. And apparently when you near death, your body fluids give way and she must have gone to the toilet. And um, they had to call the fire brigade to get her out of the toilet. Because yeah. all she locked herself in. And, um, and of course she'd had a massive stroke too, like Dad. So I think... And how old was Nana? She was 71 also. So it's both of you They both died, yeah. And, um, oh, I was devastated to lose her. Yeah. She was such a wonderful support to me in days that I'll never forget. And, um, yeah, so lost both of them. And then a couple of years later, lost both my brothers. So sort of they were self-inflicted. They were both alcoholics. Noel died with liver disease. They died, I think I turned 40 and somebody said life begins at 40 and I lost the four of them in a space for a couple of years. Yeah, that's sad. Which was really sad because really we were a, a nice little family. And so this is Diane and I left, and uh, which I'm lucky to still have her. And then of course, to we keep going about all the dramas, um, Al was, he was a heavy smoker. And Mum was alive then, but Dad had died. And uh, it was in that interim period between Mum and Dad dying. Al had bad back problems and he went to the hospital and they said, oh, you know, well, you might have to have an operation on your spine. He was in a lot of pain. But it turned out he had blockages in both legs due to smoking. He blocked up the arteries in his legs, so he had to have um, uh, surgery and uh, he had the operation at Prince Henry Hospital. And, oh, look, I could go. It was right on Easter time. We'd been to the Donalds, <laughs> the Donalds for an Easter celebration. Al was going into hospital on the Easter Monday and being operated on the Tuesday. And it must have been Good Friday. Good Friday we were at the yeah. Donalds, and yeah. we won't go into all that story. Um, and uh, he had this massive operation. Nobody could go in, um, but Jack 
gardener. He, this is where he was fantastic. He would come and pick me up. Mum came and looked after you guys. And uh, there was a wall like as big as that kitchen wall with all lights working for his body on his lungs and his kidneys. And oh, I was just devastated. And uh, so Jack used to come and pick me up most days. And he was like a big sook himself. He used to cry. <laughs> We'd come out. We'd both look at each other and have a cigarette. We were, oh, he never smoked, but he'd have one of mine. And all the way home, I sort of just about chain smoke, having to face all your kids, you know, and mum, and mum was crying. She'd say, oh, God, if anything happens to him. Anyway, um, the doctor said, no more cigarettes. And uh, so I thought, Don, I went down. Don said, I'll come in with you. That's Don Williams, his Don Williams dad's lifelong mate. friend. Yeah. Uh, what happened then? Uh, that weekend, I decided I've got to give up smoking because he'll be stealing my cigarettes knowing what he was like. So oh, I did it really hard. And Don, I went in to see him and he said, I'm dying. This is how I said, no, you're not. You're coming good. You're going to come home. No, there's something gone wrong. Um, he said, which is the story of his life, he said, no, I'm nearly dying, Dal. And I said, don't be ridiculous. I said, I'm going to leave if you're going to continue like that. So I came home and I thought, oh, I drove down to Don's and I said, will you come back with me? I said, he's talking stupid. I, I need somebody with me. So we went in and he said, uh, the doctor wants to see you. So I said, right, I went along. And he said, something has gone wrong. He said, we've got these, these tubes washing out, but he's got an infection. And we don't know whether he's going that's, to... That's when he had golden staff, right? Yeah, they, so we don't know whether he's going to survive the night. Yeah. And we're going to have to open him up again tomorrow in case it's where we've operated. So stay by the phone so, so I'd given up smoking all weekend and on the way home I bought two packets of cigarettes and got home and mum, poor mum what I put her through I said I don't think he's going to last the night so said you go to bed mum and I'll stay up so I stayed up till the early hours in the morning and in exhaustion I went to bed and uh, they had to remove his gallbladder, it was all infected. And so he rang me, he said, well, we're just hoping that this will work, but we're not sure. So it was touch and go, and poor Jack and I would go in. He was such a wonderful person at that stage, Jack. Anyway, he survived, of course he did, because we're still telling the story. What are they still calling the European wasp? You can't kill them. So how am I come? How I, I must have had the strongest heart to survive all those things. And so Hamie came, but he was a shadow of himself. And then he had to fess up. He'd had cartons of cigarettes hidden behind the garage in that little walkthrough thing. He had them hidden the tops of wardrobes. Oh, and then I had to give them up again that weekend he came home. So we went up to the incinerator and in went the cartons of cigarettes. So we had the bonfire there. And that was the last time we both smoked. So, um, and that's a, that's a pretty good place to leave at this stage, Mum, I think. <laughs> so we're going to do the next session. Looking forward to part three, which is obviously the second part of Elle's traumas and then, and then the move to, to here and obviously becoming a grandmother. So, Mum, thank you.